We've already started some of our own family traveling. We did that this week, uh, Friday afternoon, evening. We drove to my parents' house a few hours away, spent the night and had our gift time with our family uh, yesterday, my sister's family from out of state. And then we came in and we were all together with my aunt and had a good time together. And that is our gift giving time as well with them. And my dad is difficult to buy for, as most men are. Uh, it's a challenge to buy for, and there are only so many sweaters and jackets and things like that that you can get. And so I asked my dad, I said, I never ask really, but this year I would like a little help. Is there anything at all uh, that you actually kind of want? I know it'll take away the surprise, but are you really ever surprised at what we get you? So it doesn't really matter, right? And so he said, okay. So he text messaged me two ideas. Uh, one was uh, a leaf blower. He didn't care, you know, what size or what power, just a leaf blower. Then he texted shoes. And uh, to be funny, I sent him a picture of some crazy shoes and said, it's like this. He said, stick to the blower. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so he knew what was coming. And uh, I bought him a blower, and I wasn't going to get a cheap one for my dad for Christmas. And he spent a couple of hundred dollars on me through the years. So I thought, this is you know, my time to kind of repay a little bit. So I got him a really nice one and thought, okay, at least he'll, he won't be surprised, but he'll be surprised that it's a nicer one. So we wrapped it up, brought it in. We got in Friday night to be with my family and see them. We were going to hang out, have a meal together, and not do gifts until Saturday. So mom asked me to run into the uh, garage area and grab something out of the freezer for her. I did, and I looked up on the wall, and there is a big old blower just hanging there on one of the hooks. And I thought, what? Has he needed one so badly he's borrowed one, or what's going on? So I walked in and kind of mouthed it to my mom. I was like, blower, what? What's up? You know, and she's like, what? What do you? I said, there's a blower in the garage. She said, what's a blower? I was like, What? That, the big blue thing, what is that? She said, well, he got something a couple of weeks ago at Lowe's. I know that. It's like, really? So I went back and looked at the message and the date of the text message, and he sent it three weeks ago. Yeah, this is what I want. Uh, two weeks and, and six days ago, I said, got it, you know, done. And then at some point, he just can't wait. Just got to go buy him one. <laughs> And uh, so I basically yesterday morning, we got together and I gave my dad a return. That's what I gave him. Like, here you go. Take it back if you'd like. Like, that's, that is what I gave him uh, on Christmas. And as we were going around the room, I'm looking at my wife like, what? She's like, just, just let it go. I was like, he only told me like three weeks ago what he wanted. And so we had it back and forth. But I gave my dad a return. And gift returns are no fun. Um, and most of the time when we get something we're going to take back, we just think, why would you even give it? I wish I had not even gotten a gift because now I've got to plan some time in my schedule to go return it. Then there are those moments when you get a gift and you don't know exactly where it came from and they didn't give you that gift receipt thing. And you're thinking, ah, they probably have them at Walmart. They probably have them at Target. So you're just driving around spending hundreds of dollars in gas to return this 1999 little vac or hand vac thing that you've got. And so it, it's just a lot going on. None of us likes to deal with returns and none of us wants to have the weight of the responsibility of having to find out where the gift is and just return it. So many of you never return some of those gifts. In the back of your closet, you've got this little pile of things that need to go back, but they just have never made their way back to the store. They're just there. And you've learned to live with what should have been taken back. 
And what I want us to do today is to take a look at the closet of our hearts and, and look at a couple of gifts that really need to go back. Uh, but for whatever reason, you've allowed to hold on to them, and now they become a burden. Um, before we open up the word, let's have a brief time to pray together. Father, as we open up your word, I pray that you would give us minds to understand what it is you would have us here today, that you would give us hearts to believe what it is that you want to speak to us, and that you would give us hands that are willing to apply what it is you teach us. Speak to us now. Your people are listening, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I mention gift returns, what I mean is that many of us have paid a great price for a gift that we thought we wanted. We actually thought it would be something that would bring us happiness, that would bring us a little peace, that would bring us relief, that would bring us a little joy, that would give us some bit of distraction from all the stuff that was going on in life. We purchased, we bought a gift for ourselves that we really thought we needed. We thought, I'm not going to be able to cope through this circumstance, this season of life, this time. I'm, I'm just not in a good place, and this is going to actually help me, and I, and I actually need it. So the irony is that many of the return gifts in our lives are actually gifts that we bought for ourselves. It's not something someone gave us. We chose it. We said, I'm going through a difficult time. This is a difficult season, and I'm going to add this to my life. Whether it was an experience, whether it was a habit, whether it was a crutch, whether it was an impulse kind of thing, whether it was, well, I see other people using it. I see other people having one, and maybe it will be the same for me, for whatever the reason, we got the thing, we held on to it, and now we're paying a huge cost for it. And day after day, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And that thing that was supposed to be a distraction and a help and a coping mechanism has become something we're dependent on. It's become a crutch. And in some of our cases, it's become a full-on addiction, and we just can't stop. And whether it's something we need to keep secret and hope no one else knows, or whether it's just obvious and everyone's into it, but we just can't seem to put it down, it's weighing us down. And so when we come to celebrate this Christmas, we're only celebrating with a part of our heart and a part of our soul because we have invested so much of us into this thing, into this gift that we got for ourselves. And until we take it back, we're going to struggle. And my desire is that you have a free Christmas, that you're able this year for the first time in years maybe to go into the Christmas season and to celebrate Jesus without whatever it is that's always in the back of our mind, always holding us down, always weighing us down, always that little thing we're trying to keep quiet, that little thing we're trying to ignore, the little thing we're trying to put away, the little gift that has become a big, big part of our lives. Well, now, we all know we're celebrating the baby Jesus next week, but the baby Jesus grew, and when he was 33 years old, he gave his life for us. And three days later, he was raised up from the tomb, and then after a little over a month, he left this place. He's alive and well, but he's just not here in, in, in skin and flesh. But after that, people began to tell the story. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 19... I want you to hear the descriptive words that are being used when a man named Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, described what it is to know him. He said in verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. You can be free. 
and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, refreshing is a weird word. I actually think about Polar Express when I hear refreshments, but refreshing. At times of refreshing may come. But how many of you would characterize your life right now as refreshing? It's just like this cool air. It's a breeze. It's a yeah. It's an ah, that's life. This is good. Now, most of us would not. But as he's describing what it is to follow Jesus, he says, turn to God and find times of refreshing for your soul. A little after that, a man named Paul, who would become also a follower of Jesus, wrote to a local church in a city called Galatia. And we've got that letter known as Galatians. And in chapter five, verse one, he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He says, it's for freedom that Christ, this baby that grew and gave his life, it's for freedom that he set us free. So don't go back to those moments of being weighed down, of being chained up, of being held down by this thing that's in the back of your heart closet, this thing that's holding you down, this thing that you grabbed onto just to cope, just to get by, just to deal with your anxiety or your worry or your stress or your anger or your frustration, whatever it was that has now become a big, big part of your life. So in your present reality, would you describe your life as free, as refreshing? Probably not. Say, well, those are just idealistic kinds of things. No one is really experiencing that. Life is way too hard. In fact, that's just a couple of followers who wanted to paint a picture to persuade people to follow Jesus. That's not even what Jesus said. Well, listen to what Jesus himself said. In John chapter 7, he said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. He's talking about all his followers. He said, you come and follow me and your life will be like a river of living water. You're just flowing out the good stuff. Like life is so full and refreshing and free. He would say in the same book in John chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in your present reality, are those words you would use to describe your own relationship with God or just life in general, full of rest and joy and freedom and refreshing and all those kinds of words? If not, understand that's what you were saved to experience and that's what God came to give you. And just to bah humbug your way through Christmas and think, well, this is just the way life is. When you grow, you age out of the whole childlike wonder thing and you get the reality that this life is hard, life is confusing, life is complicated, we don't all get it, and the best we can do is just try to smile along the way and find little happy moments. That is not true, and that is not the life that God came to give you. And God came to give us freedom. And my desire is that you have a free Christmas. Well, before we take a look at the how there, I want us to remember why it is we bought the gift in the first place. Because some of you went to the store of life, if you will, and you said, I am frustrated, I'm angry, I'm confused, or I'm afraid, or life is complicated, I don't get, and so I'm just going to purchase this. And when you grabbed the gift, 
It was something you could stare at. It was something you could think on, or it was something you could drink, or if it was something you could play. It was something you could smoke. It was something you could escape with, or whatever the thing is. So some of you are like, whoops, stepped on a toe there. Like, no, listen, we're all, we've all got things that we lean on. They're all crutches. And they're in all of our lives at varying degrees, and they're very different. Some of them are of themselves just terrible, terrible, sinful decisions, and some of them are good things that got turned upside down because we gave them a priority they never should have had in our lives, and now we're just kind of into it. I mean, who would have ever thought 10, maybe even five, but 10 years ago that people would be addicted to a telephone? Like, is that, that's wild, because it, there was a time when we got cords and we're trying to undo the cord. I would never be addicted to that ridiculous thing that hung on the wall that I needed my space and I would pull it under the door and slam my door and talk. We're addicted to this stuff now. And when you're angry and you're frustrated, after you slam your door, you grab your phone. When you're frustrated with somebody, you just get lost in an app for a while. That's that's a thing. That's a problem. It's just not being able to deal with life and there's not always gonna be an escape like that. For some of you, you were just surfing on the internet for a while and you found something that you knew probably wasn't cool for you, but you just messed around with it and now you just find yourself going back to it and back to it and back to it. For some of you, it was a long day at work and the guy said, hey, you come have a beer with me and that's turned into something way different. And those things have just got their hooks in us. And so here we are with hearts that are sincere, wanting to actually celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, but we're bogged down with this stuff that's either a secret or not, but it's just in our lives. And many of you are doubling it up because you have to work so hard to cover up what's actually happening. But regardless of at what level of where you are in the process, it's holding you back. And you're not free. You're not free to worship. You're not free to celebrate. You're not even free to live because this thing is holding on to you. And the same God that sent his son to come to earth in the form of human flesh, the same God that raised him up after he was crucified is the same God that we worship, and he can do miracles all around us here, and he can free us today. And I want us to go back to that first Christmas and find this. In Matthew chapter 1, if you have a Bible, open up there, the first book of the New Testament. We're not going to look at any long verses today, but what I want us to do is find the wisdom of the first Christmas, because there were plenty of hard, difficult, complicated, confusing, anxious, and stressful moments in the first Christmas. We don't look at it that way because we look at it through the eyes of you know, our movies or our nativity scenes or whatever they may be. And we look at Mary and Joseph, and we see the baby Jesus, and we see the people around them. And we feel like they were all just so happy throughout the entire time, as if they're holding hands, saying, I'm not married, and I'm having a baby, and it's going to be great. I'm so excited. Well, she's my girlfriend. I don't know where the baby came from, and I am so happy about this. It is going to be great. I have no money, and I'm going to raise the Savior of the world. I'm in a perfect spot. Like, like, do we really think that's the way it was? Mary's starting to show a little bit. I get to walk the streets and all the ladies will stop and whisper and point. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be an amazing experience. And if this is actually really true, then I have to be the perfect mom, but I can do it because I've never had a baby. Like, I can do this. Listen, there was so much stress as that first Christmas. 
And just weirdness, awkward things. Some of you are going through an awkward stage right now in your families. You're getting together with people that you don't really want to be with. And you're just smiling, Merry Christmas to you, and like it's you. And we're just all saying things we don't mean and smiling, and it's just weird. And we all know it. And then we look back at that first Christmas and think, well, we're probably celebrating true to first century. Like that was the way it was. Just such a strange, strange scenario. And who would have blamed Joseph if Mary went looking for him when it was time to go to Bethlehem and she found him in a pub? Joseph, they well, listen, it's just too hard. I cannot do this. And who would have blamed Mary if Joseph couldn't even find her when it was time to go? I just want to get away. I'm running away. I have the baby in secret and I'll, I, I cannot do this. Who would have blamed them if they didn't want anyone around them at all? And yet we find them behaving incredibly differently. So what was it about how they responded that maybe can help us not be so dependent on these things that have become problems in our lives and that we can just be free and experience life and Christmas and even face adversity the way that God created us to? There's wisdom here. In verse 20 of chapter 1 in the book of Matthew, Joseph found out he was going to be a father and he, his response was this. But when he considered this, and just leave that on the screen for a moment because I want to explain this. Joseph has not experienced the vision with the angel yet. We don't know exactly why and how the conversation happened. Whether Mary just said, Joe, can we talk? I've got some news. Or he looked at her and said, why have you been so sick? Like, what is going on? Why are you sick every morning? Why, why are you never available? Why can't I find you in the morning? I come over to the house. You're not here. What's going on? We don't know the conversation. But at some point, he realized that his girlfriend was having a baby, and the baby was not his. And his emotions would be what you would think they would be. And you men in the room, that they would be what yours would be if you got this kind of news, if you found this out. It says, but when he considered this. And we know that ultimately he decided to try to quietly divorce her without telling anyone because back then an engagement required a divorce. But I want us to hold on to just that idea of him stopping to breathe and stopping to think. When was the last time someone got under your skin and sent you over the edge and you just stopped to take a breath and to think for a moment before you responded. It's probably been a while. Usually we respond with whatever we feel just comes out of our mouth and we're ready to go, ready to speak, ready to shout, ready to throw, ready to scream, ready to punch, ready to run. We are ready and we let it go. And Joseph, getting this incredible news, it says he just stopped, considered what was going on. He stopped to take a breath. And I know he had to be thankful he did, because later on he would find out that God was actually behind all of this. And had he responded, had he screamed and yelled and cussed at Mary the way he might have felt in the moment, had he run out in the streets and yelled something about her, had he told people down at the tavern, had he done all that stuff, he would have had a lot to walk back from later on when God said, no, this, this is mine. Oh, how do you come back from that? Mary, what I meant was, like, it's, it's said then, it's done then. But he has this moment, he stops and thinks. And I think the wisdom we find from Joseph is this. Freeze. 
That's intentional pausing in front. Freeze and filter your feelings through your faith. Just stop before you respond, before you go to that crutch, whatever the crutch is, before you let your mind go there, your eyes go there, your lips go there, whatever you're doing, before you do it, just stop. Take a breath and allow your feelings to be filtered through your faith. Your feelings are not a bad thing. Emotions are, are not wrong. Emotions are just real. It's how we feel, and they're fine. God created us to feel. But when our emotion overrides our devotion, we're in trouble. And Joseph chose devotion over emotion. He said, I know how I feel. I know what I want to say. I know what I want to do. I know how angry I am. I know how I normally respond to this. But I also know that I believe there's a maker out there. There's a God who is personal and cares and has created all that I see, and he's got a plan. And so I want to do this his way instead of the way I feel. Yes, he canceled a lot of regrets. Yes, he was able to override a lot of things because of that. But he was also able in that moment to free himself up to see that God might be at work even in the hard stuff, that God might be at work even in the crisis, even in the opportunity that was right there. He was able to stop and see God at work there, but he would not have been had he allowed his emotions just to cause his response and to do whatever he felt. He filtered those things through what he actually believed. We also find some wisdom with Mary. In Luke's account of this, in Luke chapter 1, we find Mary in the home of a young lady named Elizabeth. Well, how did she get there? Well, let's take a look at that. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, after Mary found out that she was going to be the, child, uh, the, the child's mom, the mother of the Savior, it says, she arose and went in a hurry. Like the first thing she did once she got the news was to take off and go be with this person named Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was a family member, but also was someone who shared her perspective on life and shared her desires and her dreams of honoring God with her lives. She'd also been told that Elizabeth was a part of the story, that God had done something in her and allowed her, even though she was past childbearing age, to become pregnant as well. So it was not the same as the birth of Jesus, Elizabeth was married to Zechariah, and God allowed their union to create a child that would ultimately be known as John the Baptist, as we would read about him later on. But he had allowed Elizabeth to be a part of the story. So Mary's first response was to run to be with Elizabeth, was to put herself in the presence of someone who shared her perspective and shared her purpose, who got it. And I know in my own life, when I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm confused, I need a little wisdom or I'm even thinking about making a decision, whether it's a purchase or just adding something to my life or trying something new. I know that there are people around me that I could go to and get the world's worst advice. And if I have 12 bad ideas, I know 12 dudes that I could go to and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And every one of them would say, I would too. I would too. And we all have that friend, right? Like you have some friends that have like major opinions. And then you've got the one friend that whatever you do is the right thing. You could say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this today. Sounds good to me. 
Or you could say, no, that, never mind, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> Me too. Like you, we've all got that person. They don't want conflict. They just kind of want to affirm whatever it is. And so whatever idea I have, I could go to someone and say, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I'm thinking I'm doing this. I would too. Like we all have one of those. And we can manipulate it because later I can say, well, I, I sought counsel. <laughs> no, I, I sought counsel. That's a proverb. I went to people and said, hey, what do you think? but it's who I went to. I also know there are people who would shoot straight and not tell me what I want to hear, but tell me what I need to hear. And I don't like talking to them about my decisions <laughs> because they usually don't line up with what I'm feeling. But that's the kind of person that Mary went to. And she showed up and she said, I've had a vision, I think. I think I heard from God. I've got all this stuff happening and you're supposed to be a part of this. What do I do? And there would have been some people that would have looked at her and said, Mary, you're not going to be a good mama. I'm sorry. I'd be honest. I mean, this is, this is going to be hard. You're going to need us. You're going to need us to help you. Or, hey, if you're going to be the mother of the Savior, Joey, mm-mm. Now, he, he got no money. Like, he's not going to be a good guy. He can't protect you. I know he's cute, but he can't. And he, all this advice. She goes to Elizabeth, who was pursuing the same purpose for her life. And Elizabeth said, my goodness, my baby just danced in my womb. Like, there's something going on. God is at work here. And I am so blessed that you would be here, that you'd be in my presence, that I know God is doing something in you and he's gonna see you through. That's different. And that's who Mary ran to. If she had run to other people, she could have gotten a lot of terrible advice, a lot of bad ideas, or at best just felt bad about herself moving forward. But instead, she went to someone who was pursuing the same purpose in life as her. And men, if you're struggling and you're considering making some terrible decisions, publicly or privately, don't go to your friends who are in the same bad spot you've been in and say, what do you think? Because they want you to be right where they are and stay in the ditch with them. You need to go to guys who are on the other side that say, no, 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 you're better than that, man. She deserves more than that. Your kids deserve better than that. Your future needs more than that. Don't, don't go there. Don't be there. You need people who are willing to look at where you are, where you want to be, and say, I want to go there too, and together we'll, we'll make this thing happen. You need to be around those kinds of people. Mary understood that, and she sought that kind of wisdom. So the second little bit of wisdom we get from her is to be with people who are pursuing your purpose, not in the selfish sense of uh, just you know, doing whatever it is you feel like doing, pursuing your purpose as it pertains to your relationship with God. Be with people who are pursuing your purpose. Now, you know that I do not encourage people to break relationships with people who are not followers of Jesus just because they don't pursue your purpose. I believe we're called to shine in a dark, dark place. And I'm so thankful for the people who are clueless in my life because there, but for God's grace, I would be there too. And I wanna shine in their lives. And I want God to do something in them that he's done in me. But I also know I've got to have some people in my life who do understand that my desire is to finish the race God has for me, to finish the race with few regrets in a way that my wife and my kids are proud to say that I was a part of their family, in a way that people in my church family could say, I'm thankful that he's a part of my, I wanna finish that way. So I need to make wise decisions along the way and I have to have those kinds of people in my life. And Mary got that wisdom. And there's one more piece of wisdom I want us to see. We'll stay with Mary. She was just doubly smart, uh, more than Joseph. 
Um, and then as she was there with Elizabeth, after she had that moment and that conversation, she began to burst out in song. And we have Mary's song in uh, Luke chapter one. I just want to read uh, the end of one verse and, and another here in Luke chapter one, verse 46 and seven. She said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. Mary chose to worship even before she got her questions answered. She didn't show up and Elizabeth say, well, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go back. You're gonna have a conversation with Joseph. He's in the, in the beginning, he's gonna resist, but then he's gonna say, okay, and I've got this prophetic you know, vision and there's, here's how it's going to unfold. Then you're gonna, gonna have to go to Bethlehem, but it's okay. And there won't be room in the hotel, but you're gonna be fine. There's gonna be this little barn. And I, she didn't have any of those things answered. She just had Elizabeth saying, God has done a great thing. He's chosen a good person and I'm excited to watch God's plan unfold in your life. So she still has no answers, but we find that she chooses to worship here, even without the answers. Even in the midst of the worry, she chose to worship. So I think the wisdom we find here from her is to worship who you know, even before knowing what you want to know. Worship who you know, even before you get all those answers. There are a lot of things that you have questions about. There are a lot of things you want to know. How are you going to work this out, God? How are you going to financially make this happen or relationally work this out? Or how are you going to bring health to this? Or how are you going to fix this? We have a lot of questions, but it should never keep us from worshiping because we're not worshiping a what, we're worshiping a who. And God's character is consistent. He is who he is. And even when I don't have all the answers, I choose to come and I choose to worship because he is worthy of that. And if you've just come to worship the answer to your prayers, it's pretty shallow. It's like saying, Mom, I'll come and see you on Christmas and my birthday and any other day where there might be something under a tree or on a table with my name on it. You say, well, that's pretty selfish. I know, but think about how we treat our relationship with God. We run to worship when he answers that big prayer. He brings healing. He brings a relationship in. You get a raise or whatever. We're ready to worship. We have, but we have reason to worship then. We think we always have reason to worship because we're worshiping a who and it's God's character that deserves our worship, not just the responses to how he handles our issues and our struggles along the way. And when I worship, what I find is I get help with those areas of weakness for me because I think about all the struggles that are going on around me or questions I have or feelings I'm going through. And I'm tempted, just like you, to make some really poor decisions just to cope and to deal with it. I, I feel the same thing you do. And then there are times I sit here and worship, and I choose to worship God in spite of it, and then I look around the room at my church family, and I see people worshiping through their tears and worshiping through their hurt and worshiping through their losses, and it brings such perspective to my life. Not to say, well, their life is harder than mine. I don't mean that. I just mean to say they're brave enough and courageous enough to worship you because they know you in spite of all the things that are going on. So it's not gonna hold me back either. So I find courage, I find inspiration, I find power, I find all those things when I worship. I worship who and not a what. You have paid a great cost, many of you, for a gift that you no longer want. And it just started 
with after work drinks or it started with just surfing on the internet or it started with just checking out the app because you want to keep up with what your kids are doing online or it started out with whatever. And it's just become a thing. Not all of them are sinful in, in and of themselves, but they've become a source of dependence in your life. And you can't even imagine going through a day without them. And I want to challenge you and encourage you this year, as you get under the tree and you open up all these gifts or watch other people open up all these gifts, maybe you need to take one of those recycled boxes and write down whatever it is. Just wrap that thing up and send it off to the dump. Take it back. I don't want this anymore. That thought, that feeling, that action, that thing I eat, that thing I drink, that stuff I smoke, that's, I'm, going, I'm moving on. I'm ready to be free. I want to know what it is to not be leaning on something all the time, relying on something else to give me what I know can be found at the feet of Jesus. I want you to be free. I I don't want to know your stuff. I don't want to know your junk. I don't want to know your secrets. I don't want to know your hangups or your habits. Now, if you want to stop and share something, I'm not saying I'm going to say get out of my life, but I don't really want to know that. And I don't want you to feel bad. I'm not here to make you feel bad about yourself. I don't want you to come in and think of all the ways that you've fallen and failed and feel like you're a failure or you're, no, 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 no. I just want you to be free. And I know you're not going to be free if you continue season after season of life to drag around this gift that should have been sent back years ago. It was an accident. You never meant it to be this important in your life. We'll send it back. Take it back. Allow, allow yourself to do what I did with my dad. Like, well, here's the gift. I don't want it. Take it back then, because <laughs> I tried. Did my best. Here's your blower. I've already got one. You can take it back. And there are so many times when I went through life and thought, I need this. I want this. I've got to have this. I, no. Take it back. I want you to be free. If you're not a follower of Jesus, freedom begins there. And if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been secretive about it, just as you've been secretive about hangups or habits, whatever they may be, um, Jesus calls us to go public. And on January the 1st will be our first, obviously, worship time in the new year. And I was thinking this morning, that would be a great way to start off the year. If you've never been baptized, to say, I'm starting fresh and I'm starting clean. And we'd love to help you take that step. Just communicate with us, whether online or out in the hallway. We'd love to give you information on that. But our desire is that you have a free Christmas this year. So let's pray together. I'll tell you what, as we pray, would you just stand? Let's, let's pray to stand together. Father, here in this room and those who are watching online, God, we've gathered together to celebrate a God who came to give us freedom. He literally said it was to bring or set the captives free. It was to bring hope to a broken and oppressed world. And God, we are not, in this country at least, oppressed by people. We're not oppressed by another army that's holding us back. We're not oppressed by other things that those in the first century experienced. We complain about some lacks of freedom, but the truth is we're as free as at any point in history. God, we have so much freedom except in the things that matter. 
And God, I pray that you would reveal to us the things that are holding us back, the things that we've become dependent on, and help us get a picture, a glimpse, a vision of what could be if we were free. And give us the courage to step into that. Whatever that first step is towards freedom, God, give us the courage to do that today. For anyone in this place who's not a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would give them the desire today to lay down their way of living, to take up their cross, and to follow you. God, your word is very clear that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that we will not come to the Father but through you. So I pray today that your son Jesus would be lifted up in our hearts. He would be lifted up as we sing and as we talk with one another, and that there would be some in this place today who crown him King Jesus in their own lives. We ask all this in the name of Jesus who frees us. Amen.